0: This is the PMP Industry Insider Podcast. (laughs) I heard that a couple times. Hey, this is the most important thing i got to get done today. Very exciting time. 100% agree. Let's talk about something everybody loves. A lot
1: of moving pieces to it. Our system is exactly that.
0: We have a very special guest. Dave Gianetto,
1: as well as Bill Noonan. Emily Thomas-Kendrick, as well as Tim Pollard. Mr. Michael E. Gerber. John John
0: Myers. We are so glad that you're with us. What do you have to change in order to keep up with the new reality? I just want to make sure that the listeners understand that Point here. Thanks so much for being with us. I never
1: thought in my lifetime that I would see this happen. Let's
0: go. I'm very excited about today. This is the PMP Industry Insider Podcast.
1: Hello everyone, welcome out to a, I'm not gonna say another episode of the PMP Industry Insider Podcast. I'm going to say the 100th episode of the PMP Industry Insider Podcast where we look at what is changing in the industry and we take you to the front lines to those that are driving those changes. As always, I'm Donnie Shelton, owner of Triangle Home Services, which has Triangle Pass, as well as Triangle Lawn, as well as the CEO of Comarch, which has digital marketing for sales and marketing. And with me, as always, is the superhero of Pest and Lawn Bookkeeping Services, Mister Dan. Gordon.
0: Wow, he got a new one. I love it. I love it. <laughs> How are Dan, you? This, this say hello cool. and yeah, yeah introduce yeah. our, our guest and our topic. Yeah, yeah. This is this is pretty cool. So this is our 100th episode, and uh, we are actually here at Pest World, and um, we could not have. Thought of a better guest to bring back for our hundredth episode, and our guest is Tim Mulrooney, and he is an analyst with William Blair, and also my partner in the Pest Index that we publish each month. And uh, couldn't be more excited to have him. And um, hey, Tim, welcome.
2: Hey guys, thanks for having me on the podcast today. Very excited. Hey,
1: before we get into this, I do have to tell a story. This is pretty funny. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. So. A few years ago, back when we did CO2, I was doing this state of the industry and I was talking about how we'd been found out by private equity and, and folks were finding out that we were not just a bunch of greasy cigar smokers and running around and, you know, just poisoning yards. And anyway, so I'm quoting all this stuff from William and Blair and this Tim Marooney guy, and I'm I'm, I'm looking at some of the things that he's writing and I'm putting it in my presentation. I get done at the end of CO2 and Danny goes, Hey man, that's pretty cool. You should, you should talk to Tim. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, I know him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he's a great guy. He's a learner. Anyway, it's just kind of funny, you know, obviously years later, here we are doing this podcast. So anyway, that's just, I just remember that. And I remember like, this was back when, you know, back when pest control was getting, was getting found out. This was way before the rates went way up and, um, you know, we just kind of started this whole thing. But, but anyway, so with that. All right. So here's what we're talking about today. Obviously, Dan, you and Tim do this pest index. I like the pest index um, because obviously it's pretty easy to see what's happening with the majors. They have to report what they're doing. I kind of view this index as kind of a co- like a macro small cap index almost like you're looking at a macro level of what's happening with you know, the not billion dollar companies and kind of what's happening in the industry. And so, Tim, I think it'd be great if you could just kind of lead us off with this. Let me start with kind of the big picture, what you're seeing. And then, you know, from an economy perspective, and then we'll bring it back down into, you know, what the impact is on our industry. So,
2: Um, yeah, so where to start? Uh, the economy, like, what specifically do you want to talk about with the economy, Donnie? There's just so much going on. I mean, the market's down 25. percent Inflation rates are uh, continue to go up. The job market continues to be strong. Like, what what is it that strikes you about the economy that you'd like me to kind of walk through?
1: So I just love the setup right there. I think probably the best place to start is that yes, the stock market is way down. If if you have not looked at your 401k recently. Don't, don't, um,
0: don't, <laughs> don't right. uh, or any
1: other. Okay. Um, you know, and so I think probably maybe a good place to start is what the hell, right? I mean, the stock market is way down. Mortgage rates are going up, bond yields are up, inflation's up over 8%. I We, Dan and I kind of dug into this number a little bit more. We We think it's more like 16% for our industry in terms of inflation. Why is this kind of why is what happening happening? Maybe that's a good place to start. Let's start with interest rates first, and then inflation.
2: Yeah, and you know honestly, I think the mortgage rates, bond yields, market declining 25 points is kind of all related to inflation. And so maybe I could start there because you know inflation has occurred in my view for two reasons. The first is the incredible you know amount of stimulus that we've seen over the last two years. And it's uh, we we all have short uh, memories, me included. So just uh, for I guess a little bit of a recap, I mean the Fed cut rates um, twice in 2020, uh, first by a half a point and then by a full point. They cut the Fed funds and the discount rate, so so both of them went to zero essentially, free money. And then they did that quantitative easing. Uh, and expanded repurchase operations by two trillion. That's Treasury's hey, mortgage hey, securities. Hey, hang on. So let's
1: let's define quantitative easing for our audience because the way I understand it is basically printing money and pumping it into the economy. But uh, that's get, it. Uh, yeah. I mean
2: to to, to go beyond <laughs> the mechanics uh, yeah. go, beyond, <laughs> go beyond the mechanics of that is probably not helpful for the purposes of this podcast. But it, yeah, I mean that's basically <laughs> what it is. We pumped two trillion in uh, in um On the monetary side, in addition to cutting rates to zero, and then we had three major relief packages in April and May of 2020, then we had the CARES Act, then we had in August of 2020, um, the Trump administration enacted four executive orders, the Lost Wages Assistance Program, which added $400 per month of unemployment benefits, um, paused student loan payments, Uh, which of course is extremely inflationary policy because it means hundreds of extra spending dollars per month for folks in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. December Mm -hmm. 2020, before Trump left office, a fourth stimulus package worth 900 billion, uh, known as the CAA was passed and included more direct payments to people, added more unemployment um, benefits, just a lot of extra spending money in everyone's pockets. And then of course the Biden administration came in, extended a lot of the things that the Trump administration put in place and uh, passed the American Rescue Act in March of 2021, which is another $1.9 trillion, most of it highly liquid, direct cash in everyone's pockets. So when you look but, at all this,
0: Donnie.
1: But, but they did do the Inflation Reduction Act, right?
2: So that's going so to
0: right, just gonna clean yeah, yeah. It, all it all up. Yeah, that's right. Clean it all up. IRS agents.
2: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So when you look at all this stimulus on the monetary side and the fiscal side, my question isn't, why do we have inflation? But how could we not have inflation? Mm-hmm. Um, and really, that was the only really only one reason. The second reason is because the long cycle of historically low interest rates. Basically, ever since the end of the great financial crisis, we've had interest rates really close to zero, You know, despite the fact that the economy was doing fine. Uh, we saw right. a major expansion in the Fed's balance sheet over the last 10 years. Economy, despite the fact that the economy has been doing fine. Um, and we saw what happened when the Fed tried to cut it off. I don't know if folks remember the taper tantrum of 2013. Uh, that may, might be like yes. too inside baseball. But I mean, basically, the Fed said they were going to slow down the bond purchases. Not stop, slow down, not reverse, slow down. And the market freaked out. Uh, because it became so accustomed to that little bit of extra juice so there's just really very little political will uh, to disappoint the equity markets which were too often being confused with the real economy Uh, Mm -hmm. and now inflation's finally reared its ugly head We're reaping what we sowed for so many years cheap money for long periods of time tends to increase um, asset prices and and the stock market wasn't immune to that um so well i was going to say and and i guess the, the kind of moves on to our
1: second point, which is which is the recession or the looming recession. And, I, and yeah. I act like I this is coming, but you know, when the Fed says we're going to keep raising rates and it's going to mean job losses and we're willing to go, even if it does mean that, then yeah. I, I guess the question then becomes okay, well, I guess the question for you is is do you, I mean I think a recession's coming if we're not already in one. And then, But it's kind of weird, right, because we're still searching for labor. Can you talk about that a little bit? Like, why are people seeing this? Like, you know, we're talking about a big slowdown. Is it just that it hasn't gotten here yet? Or is it more like it's already here and we just don't have enough people out there to get, you know, to do the
0: production that we need to do? Yeah, Yeah, We're in recession. Why is it tough to find people? Why is consumer confidence bent, not broken? And how do you see this thing playing out?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. It's like every recession we're in, we always say, "Oh, this is the strangest one we've ever had." Right? So it's like the great financial crisis was an actual nightmare. Like the financial system was on the brink of collapse. We kind of forget that. I mean, this to me feels more mild relative to that type of a situation. Um, but this one's weird because everyone's well, what do we call this? Like you remember the jobless recovery of 2003. Is this the uh, job full recession of 2023? Like, it, you know, is uh, is this going to be some weird thing where we see macros slow down, but employment stays full? Probably not. I, I just think that employment's a lagging indicator. So mm. a lot of times we don't know we're in a recession until we're halfway through it. The way the Edinburgh, like rates the recessionary period of time. So folks don't really fire people right away usually we we see job losses uh, start to occur at a heavier rate like halfway through the recession um gotcha and and so it's kind of like a lagging thing where where do job losses really lag because at some point gdp comes back but no one's hiring because they all got right. burned from the recession and they're trying to see those productivity gains and like um we didn't see jobs get back to pre-recession levels until 2011. um you know, GDP came roaring back in the second half of 2009, but you had to wait till 2010, 2011. It, it was like four years until employment recovered. It's just a longer lagging cycle. So it would make sense that if we're on the front end of this thing, we haven't really seen employment decline. But that doesn't mean that it's not going to come at some point. And honestly, for me, I, th- I feel like we're in this weird situation where good news is bad news. Because every month we see good news, the Fed feels more confident in their ability to continue to raise rates, and the market reacts negatively. It's almost like we need some uh, bad macro data so we can rip the bandaid off and start looking forward to the recovery again. Uh,
1: that is so. And, and just for our listeners, just just to recap here, the official definition for recession. And and Tim, you can correct me on this. Is it's 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 two? I think is it two quarters of either quarters down, like right? negative and and it's accompanied by uh, a rise in the unemployment rate. And I think we're starting to see the GDP starting to change, but the employment rate's not. And, and so I would like your point that you know you, you don't really see that until you're mid, midway through. Um, so. That's right. Did I, did, I, did, I, did I miss something on the on the definition? Error. I think that I think it was off the cuff. So
2: <laughs> don't let me I, wrong. donnie, you know that I don't uh, like to correct you publicly on a <laughs> podcast, but I'll do it anyway. Uh, so that's <laughs> there kind go. of. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like a rule of thumb. I, but it's a really good rule of thumb. Um, other people use other indicators like when the the 10 year minus the two year goes in a negative territory that's an indication that a recession is looming it's not an official definition of a recession but again it's a nice rule of thumb that we use to look at um, you know when the yield curve basically in, inverts um, but actually who defines a recession is is the ember uh, uh, national Bureau of economic research, and they have four or five macro indicators that they use in a complicated fashion to decide when, when the official when the recession officially starts. And as you can go to the Enver website and actually look at every beginning and end of the cycle, it's a little more complicated than that GDP. But I think, again, like, do we want to get in the mechanics of quantitative easing? Probably not. Like, do we want to get in the mechanics yeah, of yeah, defining yeah. a recession? But generally speaking, yeah, I think that's a good rule of thumb. Well,
1: I mean, so now let's let's switch gears here because I'm sure everyone's like, well, this has been an interesting discussion. But the, <laughs> the, the burning the burning question, people are like, well, what is, what does this mean for me? So let's let's bring it around now to the industry, and you know, I, I mean, yeah. And so here, I think the thing we say here is, and and I know Dan will agree with this. We we as an industry, I hate sometimes I hate saying this because I feel like it's going to burn us, but we are rese- recession resistant not recession proof. Um, and I mean, and this is more for both you, Dan and Tim, um, you know, when we're going to see what's happening with the macro economy, what do you think the impact is for your standard, you know, um, you know, lawn or pest owner, your, your guy that's, you know, 5 million or lower, maybe even 10 million or lower, you know, what, what kind of impact is this going to have on them? We talked about the economy as a whole and let's bring it back to those guys in our industry. What are you thinking?
2: Um, I definitely have a lot of opinions on this and have been talking about this nonstop at the conference for the last two days with folks, but I would be really curious to hear because actually two different people said, you know who's a great data point on this is Dan Gordon, because he sees so many companies. So I'm actually more curious oh. to hear what, what Dan has to say than me.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and, and then and then I'll give my 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 two cents.
0: Your pontification. Well, you know, the, the 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 best offense is a good defense, right? And so, you know, what we're seeing you know with the index growing um is good um what we're seeing with the news is bad so people are kind of you know tossed between where are we are we at the beginning of this thing are we at the end of this thing are we going to survive it is it going to affect us well and we've been talking about this on the podcast well and, and Donna, you were talking about the 16% inflation. And the way that we came up with that is just what is in our direct costs that, mm-hmm. that you know, uh, it, it's labor, fuel, and materials. And those three things have gone way up, right? So, you know. Way, way more than 8%, I can tell you that. Way more than 8%, right? Fuel yeah. doubled. That yeah. now came back in, right? Uh, labor probably Somewhat. up 15 20%. Yeah uh materials same thing right so people are a little bit scared people are not running out doing more hiring i'm finally hearing that people are able to hire um you know that that, that the labor market is softening a little bit but not a lot if you talk to most people at the conference um they'll tell you that they're still having a problem with it but um i think that it's you know it, it it you know we 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 really are in a in an interesting spot and and it's funny that you mentioned that before uh every well this recession is different no it's not different every you know it just the economy works in cycles and 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 that's what's going to happen and um so but but i think that uh, what we're seeing is people are starting to get cautious
2: yeah that's interesting
0: all right tim uh um, view from your
1: point you
2: yes so- Donnie, I uh, agree with you. Like I think the way to think about um, the U.S. pest control industry is recession resilient, not recession proof. And, and there are always pieces of the portfolio that I think are at risk. So if we go back and look at I just follow the data. Like if you go back and look at our models from the Great Recession or the 2003, 2002 time frame, like you saw commercial hold in real nice commercial pests remain positive through those recessions because it's required by law um and so they they slowed down a little bit but not much um we did see reset uh residential pests dip slightly into negative territory in 08 and 09. Uh, the interesting thing i think is you can actually look at the retention rates like Terminix used to disclose their pest retention rates and if you look at their retention rates from 07, 8, 9, 10 they didn't budge. Like they held in there nicely and Rollins told me the same thing like their their retention rates held in really strong even during these very scary economic times of, of 08, 09. What slowed was uh, in the residential pest side was new account growth like it was harder to get new folks signed up which makes sense if you have 20% churn, well, to get 5% growth, you need 25% growth. If you only get 15 that year, well, then you're down five. And okay. so I think that that's, that's the idea is that um, it may become harder uh, in in a severe macroeconomic slowdown uh, to to maintain that strong growth in new account sales. I know it sounds crazy to say that right now because growth is so strong. The index is way up. Uh, you know everyone I talk to says they 're reporting strong growth. Rollins and Terminix are reporting very strong results in their quarterly results, so it's it 's not in the numbers yet, but I think that there's concern in three areas: number one, new account growth on the resi side uh, number two pricing uh what what happens with pricing how do do we have to give pricing back uh, given how much we 've taken over the last year um, or not? I don't think so. I think pricing will hold, but does that pricing slow down a lot potentially? Uh and then the third thing is ancillary sales. So mosquito. You know, cross selling mosquito has been a good growth vector for these pest well, companies. We also you, back you, hang then. on
1: hang on hang on hang on hang on. Well yeah. I got two things before you jump into that. Number one, all right. Did 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 everyone just catch the pun from Tim? I don't even think Tim caught the pun I didn't. <laughs> he said <laughs> mosquito is a great vector. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, <love
1: it. laughs> uh, I caught that one. I was like, yeah. that what was pretty good. Him. I don't even know if you meant it, but hey, you know what? Right. That's that's a good one. We'll take it. We'll take yeah. that one. Tim's on his A game and doesn't even know it, right? <laughs> second, thing, second thing is I've got to play devil's advocate just a little bit here. Yeah. And that is, yeah, revenue growth. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you stripped out price increases If you stripped out just increasing revenue. Yeah. What is that growth really like? And I know you guys don't know that. No one knows that. Right. Most owners don't even know. But I'm just I guess my point is, is like it's rosy, but I would be a little skeptical me, you know, personally, just because I would be like, yeah, well, yeah, maybe maybe, you know, five percent. I don't know of that is just. Straight up price increases. It's not a
0: function. I think function it's. More. I, think it's it. I think it's probably close to ten. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. But but listen, if we're uh, our index in August was 18 and and it's 10, we're still growing eight. That's pretty darn good, right? But oh, there a, is one yeah. thing in 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 the the Great Recession or the you know that we had as a catalyst, and that was the bed bug. Uh, you know, it, it was a pandemic. It really was, right? That's when it really started to proliferate. And it doesn't matter what the economy is doing if you and your family are getting bitten up by bed bugs, that is a you know you're you're buying it. And so if you remember in eight and nine those you know that those were the, when bed bugs really took off. So is there a catalyst this time that if we do fall into some sort of a deeper recession that can keep us afloat or keep us uh, you know um, you, you know, know in good a- shape. That's an interesting
1: point, and I wonder, even if it has to come from a pest, maybe it should come from efficiency. You know, we're we're here at the show. We're recording this at the show. Uh, Dan's actually on the floor. Tim and I, I think, or at least I'm I'm in a bunker, w- my hotel room here, which is kind of interesting. And, and I think Tim's in his hotel room. But you know, I was out on the floor today. And I saw some really cool stuff, like I saw drones cool stuff like this, yeah, you yeah. Know, drones going around doing inspections and you know I'm seeing like I know there's these wireless you know mouse stations and those types of things and so I want to bring that back around because I think the opportunity here may be in somehow some way getting more efficient and you know we talk about route efficiency we've done a couple episodes on that, but you know I guess in you guys's conversations, anything that you've heard like any emerging innovation i mean bringing it back to what does this mean for the for the 10 million guy, the 5 million guy or lower than that. I think in general it's prepare for a recession, you know, batten down the hatches. Don't I mean don't shut everything off, but let's just be a little bit more conservative. But but now let's talk about opportunity, you know, in in terms of okay, are there are you guys seeing or hearing about any any kind of new innovation that could help them become let's say more efficient, more profitable. Something else to kind of help weather what's happening, you know, in the economy.
0: I think one of the coolest things that I saw was, um, you know, um, and I don't have any skin in this game, but WorkWave has partnered with uh, Jakey with with Eaton in their um, rodent stations and has built it into PestPack. So you have wireless rodent stations that's going right into your CRM, right? And what what, um, they were saying was that that's going to cut you know, um, the ability, so so a technician doesn't have to get on his knees, open a station, scan a, a barcode. He's able to, um, you know, cut a two-hour job into 20 minutes. That's awesome. But that doesn't provide the growth. What that does is holds profitability or improves profitability. But what is that uh, catalyst that, 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 you know, that we need, or is there one?
2: Well, I've, I I was going to pivot just like Donnie did to say if there is a growth factor, I'm I'm, I'm not sure what what it would be. I mean, that's not to say there isn't one. Um, I mean, Mosquito has been so strong for everybody uh, over the last five years. It's been a great growth factor. But is that more discretionary? Do people feel like they need it? Um, You could do tiered pricing. Maybe that can help you package it up better. But I was going to pivot to efficiency too, and mine wasn't so much on the in- innovation, which I think is a great point. Mine was going to be hopefully it's easier to find people, and if that yeah. can alleviate your business a little bit, that can help with margins in a major way. Um, that that and I, you know, I know some people are constrained on growth because they can't find people, and so they're oh, dialing gosh. back their digital marketing. They're dialing yes. back their digital marketing in certain markets right now,
0: uh, just simply because they can't support the growth. I mean like, over we, and over again. We over and over again. Spend less on marketing because I can't get I can't get done what I already have. Which there, is great. We actually
1: have a have a saying at Triangle when leads are down, let's fire someone because that'll be the surefire way to make sales go through the roof. Because once we're down someone, it's like the phones blow up. <laughs> it's like it never freaking fail. So all right, now let's let's flip on over to the MA side because obviously with the economy, what's going on, you know, the impending recession we're in this recession who knows but i, I would believe that uh, rates interest rates have a big impact on that um, why don't we spend a little bit of time on m a and this time i'm going to tim i'm going to let you start with this one and then we'll take it over to to dan but any anything that or any developments there that we need to talk about just kind of an update for our for our listeners
2: Well, this is probably one of the most common questions that I'm getting as I'm meeting with operators here at Pest World uh, this week and uh, private equity folks is, are you expecting any change um, in valuations or are you seeing any change? The answer to seeing any change is no, not really. I mean, I I do think that there was probably a peak in 2021 when things were around this time in 2021, when when things were very, very strong. They haven't, They they may have loosened a little bit valuation wise, but not much, Uh, not nearly as much as valuations in the public equity markets have come down. I mean, I have some companies uh, that are high quality companies. I mean, we only cover high quality companies at William Blair, but, uh, you know, there are high quality companies that are down 50 percent and 45 percent of it is valuation contraction. Like earnings haven't really budged. It's been a valuation contraction. And that certainly is not the case in past. I mean, in past, like if, if, you know, multiples were peaking at 20 times for a really high quality business, uh, can you still sell it for high teens? Probably. Um, so we're, we're not really seeing that. And, and, you know, I just heard of a transaction of, of a larger asset the other day that went for a very strong multiple. So that's still happening right now. We've got a, um, we've got a couple in the, in the
0: pipe that are still very, very strong. And, um, you know, I don't I don't I don't. I don't see if you're a high quality company, you're going to get the valuation. If you're not so high, then, you know, um, it, it, it's it's going to be a bit um, problematic if you're if you're looking for that high valuation.
1: And I would assume that these would need to be buyers who have cash, because I mean, logically speaking, if I'm borrowing money and now I'm paying more for that money, that by necessity means i can borrow less which means either i'm going to have to buy a smaller company or i'm going to have to move the multiple. And so is that the case why they're not moving is that there's still a ton of cash sitting out in the marketplace? I mean i'm just curious like and i'm i know no one probably knows the true answer to that question but i'm just like why is that? why are, why are they holding value even though you know interest rates are going up? Is there a correlation there? I mean i would imagine logically it makes sense but you know sometimes they don't, you know, sometimes it doesn't pan out in the data.
2: I mean, I, I agree with you. Inter- interest rates going up increases borrowing costs, which should decrease the valuations. And the fact that we haven't seen that is interesting. And I'm I'm not sure why. I think it, my my best answer is probably scarcity value, right? There's just only so many um, assets mm-hmm. uh, in the past world of size, and so you're there's enough folks. I mean, there's uh, I know I say this every year, but I mean, there's more interest in this pest world coming from financial sponsors uh, than I've ever seen before. And you've always had the big five strategics, uh, plus uh, others like Arrow and Massey and others uh, that are involved as well. But now you have 10, 20, 30 private equity companies that are not just taking a, a hard look at this, but over the last 12 to 18 months are actually executing and doing deals. So I just think that there's more buyers, which is probably helping, and the scarcity value of, of high-quality assets. Not that there's not a ton of high-quality assets, but high, that are large enough for these guys to get involved. I think maybe that's part of the solution, but I don't know.
1: What do you guys' take on private equity? There is a lot of private equity right now in our industry, and you know, we've had this happen historically. This, this is not new, right? I mean, we, we've had other like waste management that came in our industry. We had Sears that came in our industry at one point. Now this stuff predates me, um, but you know, do you think uh, how, how does what you guys take on this? Is this going to
0: shake out, or do you think they're here to stay? Well, it's it's interesting. There there are several private equity uh, folks who and and we're doing business with a bunch of them. So I don't want to you know uh, sit there and track private equity, but but here's my take on it. What I'm seeing is a lot of these private equity guys are looking for that CEO to uh, run the, um, you know, run this this asset, and a lot of these CEOs are coming from four and five million dollar companies, and a CEO of a four or five million dollar company is a whole lot different than a CEO of a hundred million dollar company, but yet what they be, because either they can't find it or they're enamored with these folks and they're go, coming in and and bringing these people in. And then they're trying to do this roll-up. And sometimes the strategy isn't that great. And they're not buying the best assets because, as Tim said before, and a lot of the good ones are gone. I see private equity really kind of crashing and burning, uh, a lot of them, in the next few years. That's just what I think, right? Um, And, and, you know, they'll be lucky to get out for what they got in. But that's my take on it. Now that doesn't mean that we're not going to all capitalize on what's going on. We're selling to private equity. If you're selling your company, you're getting a good paycheck. But I think that um, you know you, you you need to have the right people to build a company. And there, by the way, this is not all private equity companies. There are a couple out there, several out there, who have brought in some really really good leadership. But there's a bunch of fringe people out there. And if you walk that trade show floor, you can tell there are a bunch of private equity people in that room. They're all just walking up the aisles. And you know, I probably had 20 people in two days stop by our booth and just kind of pick our brains and and, and talk about it. I, I don't know. What do you think, Tim? And, you know.
2: Well, again, I hate to disagree with you publicly on a podcast, Dan. <laughs> it's okay. But... <laughs> it's okay. I do it all the time,
1: Tim. Yeah, you're just welcome to the club. I do it all the time. <laughs>
2: I think that they're um, – look, I, no one knows. Um, but right. in right. the conversations that I'm having with them, it's it sounds to me like they've identified pest control as um, an industry where they want to participate. And just based on my experience um, uh, seeing other in- this happen in other industries, what sometimes you'll see is um, private equity – Uh, you know, a couple folks get involved and then a a few more folks get involved. And then it's like a waterfall where all these other folks get involved and then there's consolidation and then they sell them or those larger assets go public. I mean, we saw that we're kind of seeing that, I think, in other industries like HVAC services, which is really hot right now in the private equity world. And a lot of folks got involved. They, They decided that this is a market we should be in for a lot of the same reasons they like pests. That's why they like the HVAC services. We're seeing that in the car wash space, which is technically a, a, a you know consumer services industry, even though it's not at the home, uh, where there was a lot of activity and there is a lot of activity. And I think that they have also, you know, they're looking consumer services is an extremely attractive market or residential services And there's a bunch of reasons for that, that I think we probably have talked about, you know, millennials becoming a larger percentage of the homeowner base. Millennials are do it for me at heart, not DIY, which brings in a lot of uh, services companies. And I I think that PEST has now become a a target for for private equity knowing that uh, it's an attractive space to be in. So I wouldn't, you know, just talking to these folks, hearing their strategies, it sounds to me like they're committed at least, like Dan said, not everybody. If there's 20, maybe they'll, there will be five or six. Um, and uh, already some of these high quality folks have gotten involved and I'm really excited to see what they do with those assets. There are others, Dan, I agree, that are probably less serious that are here I, I mean, and they're I, kicking I it around.
0: That, yeah, but I, what I also see is integration problems already, right? Some of these, these guys are buying up lots of companies and there's no culture. Fit. There's, you know, there's, there's no uh, uh, operations fit, and I think it's, it's, it's a big problem. I, I've talked to a couple of, uh, you know, the MA directors from the strategics who we work with, and are great friends. And the guys who have been around for a while do not buy companies to fix. They buy good companies for high values because they go right to, you know, they're accretive right away. To buy up, you know, to do 50 or 75 acquisitions in two or three years and expect to be able to integrate that well, you know, because the spreadsheet says that you can, it's a totally different ballgame. That's that's just what I see. Yeah. yeah. Feel free to disagree with me.
2: No, I think well, the heavy lifting is ahead of them. I think the heavy lifting is still ahead of them for sure. Yeah.
1: I think it's, I think it's, Well, well, big picture coming back. I think it's a, by the way, I have four kids. I have told all four of them, if you ever want to Get into business, or you do you like you want to go the entrepreneur route or whatever? Go to home services. The opportunity there is, I mean, it's phenomenal. It's all the things that we talked about. You have baby boomers who are getting out of the market; they are driving, they're driving demand for services. You have millennials who don't want to do that kind of thing. They're dual income; they don't want to do it. Okay, that's that's pressure there. You have a labor market where they don't want to do blue collar work, and and I mean, you put all of that together. And all that spells as opportunity. And so I think, you know, it, 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 private equity guys, these folks have to look at this and be like, this is absolutely a growth sector, hands down. doesn't matter how you look at it. And I think it's going to be for quite some time. So, all right. I want to switch gears here real quick because there's two more things I want to talk about. This next one I'm very excited about, which is door to door in an M&A side. You know, I'm curious to know what you guys are seeing as far as do you think now that we're going to have pressure on, Interest rates—we're gonna have pressure on lending, uh, and not all door-to-door. You know, a lot of door-to-door are are backed by private equity. Do you think there's gonna be a roll-up? Do you think there's gonna be some consolidation in door-to-door? Do you think it's gonna? Because I mean, I will tell you what I have seen in the past is that typically door-to-door companies are fast burners. Rarely do they last past 10 years. You know, when I say fast burners, I mean they're in a market five years. They usually run out of cash. And then it's, a, and then it's a, you know, it's a backyard fire sale. <laughs> not always. Yeah, yes, that's, right. that's Right. But I've seen it a lot. Right. And so I'm just curious to know, I mean, that's a, that's a high stakes, high reward game. And I'm just curious to know, you know, Tim and you, Dan, what, what are you thinking here on the MA side and what's going to be, what do you see in the future for, for strictly door to door? I'm not talking about companies that engage in door to door. I'm talking about just a, a you know, your, your run of the mill door to door. That's how they, that's how they grow. Um, thoughts
0: there? And as you know, I am a big fan of door-to-door. And as digital uh, marketing um, you know, increases in price, it becomes more and more attractive. But like anything else, there are good guys and there are not so good guys. And so I think that there will be a consolidation of the door-to-door companies. And I also think that the strategics will start buying them And start pushing up the values because the values have not been you know all that great in the past but i I think that we're going to see that and i think that you know you're going to be left with uh, everybody's uh, thirsty for very large deals well the the, the larger companies are the door-to-door companies now right so you're not going to have any choice if you want a platform like that and um you know so that that's where i see it happening but Beyond that, well, we you know we work with a lot of door-to-door companies. Their recruiting season is in full motion right now, and they're not, you know, they're not uh, they, they, this economic slowdown. It, it doesn't seem to bother them, um, and I think that you know it'll be interesting a year from now to see, you know, if they're right. So I
1: I, I actually have one question before I get your opinion on this, Tim, but and it's it's more of a. It's more of just kind of a thought question. It's not like anything I expect you guys to answer. But, um, you know, one of the things that I have to believe is that a lot of these door-to-door companies are getting higher and higher pressure on recruiting, right? There's more door-to-door companies. There's more competition to pull these reps. Typically, these reps are missionaries or, you know, former missionaries. And, you know, the one thing that no one's really talking about is that a vast majority, you know, they're, they're recruited out of Utah. The vast majority of those missionaries now are not knocking doors. So they don't come kind of pre-trained. They're all on social media. They're doing other things. And so. i heard that from I, several.
0: Uh, Yeah. And so, so, so the puppy mill, you know, the
1: puppy mill is going to like that spic is getting turned off and I'm just wondering, and again, this is kind of a question to pontificate, right? This is not like a, like, I don't expect you guys to answer this. I'm not in that space. And so I couldn't, I mean, if we had Royce on or someone who was really, really big into recruiting, I'm sure they could speak to this, but I've got to believe that's creating a lot more pressure on those guys, you know, to get the reps, but anyway, so bringing it back, Tim, for you door to door, Roll-ups, consolidation, they're going to keep going or, it, it, you know, business as usual? What are, you, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Boy, I, I really don't know with this one, Donnie. This, this one's harder. I, I talked to a lot of the door-to-door guys. I actually spoke to David a couple of weeks ago. He, he's such a nice guy. He told me they're having a good year. Um, so And I've met with several of the door-to-door companies at Pest World this year, and they're all saying the same thing. So things continue to move in the right direction for them. Yes, sales commission costs continue to go up. I mean, it wasn't that long ago when commission costs were below 50%. Now they're above. But I, I, I picked up on what Dan said that I think is so interesting is not not so much on the, the branded um, digital marketing costs, but the non-branded digital marketing costs are pushing up. Mm-hmm. Like not too parity, but they're narrowing that gap with door to door sales commissions because it's getting so expensive, and so I think it's an I think it's a really interesting time for door to door. We you guys have talked in the past about the merits of door to door. The gross margins are incredible. Uh, mm-hmm. There are other things like you're growing so fast it's hard to keep the uh, retention rates of a, a word of mouth company. So there are I think pros and cons, but it's working. Like we're seeing these door to door guys grow really fast.
1: I think it's here to stay. I don't I don't think it's going anywhere, not not by any stretch of imagination. And I mean, when you look at the cost, you're right. I mean, I I get so tickled. I talk to folks and I swear I talk to a door to door company. Guess what? They want to be a digital company. I talk to a digital company. Guess what? They want to be a door to door company.
0: You know, what's interesting is so the Utah crowd has a lock on the, the, the returning missionaries and whatnot. But what we're also seeing is a lot of folks who are not going the Utah route and training local people. And I think that that's gonna become a trend. Yes, that's the that's the triangle model, that's several other clients are doing it as well. You know, and and maybe you won't have the rock stars at first, but but it, some will emerge, right? And so, um, and, and I think and that I that's also one of the fears of buying a door-to-door company is if you don't have that in, that maybe they can't continue it. However, if you can duplicate it in just you know local people, that's a terrific way to build build a business. I don't think you have to have the
1: A player rock star guys if it's part of an overall blended growth strategy. I'm okay with right. B players. I'm not saying we have B players, but I'm just making the point that you know the fact is is that if it's part of your overall strategy. And it's it's another component of, you know, the three legged stool or whatever you want to call it. Right. It's fine. But if it's your only, you know, if it's your only horse now, all of a sudden it's 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 a really, really big deal. So
0: (laughs) that's riskier. Yeah. It's your cost per sale. Right. So if you have a rep who sells a thousand accounts or you have 10 reps who each sell 100, what's the difference? Right. So as long as the cost per sale is the same. So, you know, that's
1: that's an important point. Well now let's now let's switch this is we're getting to the end here. We're running out of time and, and we gotta talk about the elephant in the room. And this is you know, I know this is Dan's favorite topic, by the way. He loves talking about this. Um you know, he, he, I think he probably talks to his wife about it and his kids about it. I don't know. But we talk about this a lot. So let's let's bring it back around to the Rena Kill Terminex deal. And ah. Tim, I'm gonna start with you. Um kind of an update, impact, just Big picture thoughts on this deal and um, and and you know ramifications you think for the industry.
2: Yeah, thanks, Donnie. Um, I mean, as you guys probably know, they rang the bell on the New York Stock Exchange this morning, so it was a really big deal for, for Rental Kill and their mm-hmm. team. And mm-hmm. um, we got a couple of data points. I was really hoping that because um, you didn't really know what was going to happen, and you still don't know what's going to happen uh, with the managed uh, leadership in all places, but. I did see a couple positive data points. Number one, they're keeping John Myers as running uh, head of uh, America U.S. and then Brett Ponton staying on as head of North America. So I was, I really like what Brett was doing over at Terminix, and there's going to be a continuation. Uh, There's that institutional memory, uh, everything that Brett was doing at Terminix, which I think some of the things were good for the organization. They're going to continue uh, to to pursue those. actions that should hopefully move Terminix in the right direction um, but there's a couple key things I mean number one, uh, organic growth at Terminix like like rental kill took a big swing by acquiring Terminix and so you know now they have to uh, do the hard work of actually getting those retention rates and that organic growth up to market level growth of four to five percent, which is much easier said than done. So this is the task that Rental Kill now has. They acquired Terminix. They got a good price. Um, I think I I haven't uh, checked the multiple yet, but I think it's going to be end up being something like 14 or 13 times. That's a pretty good price for getting. You know, 350 hang on, hang on. or so branches. Let,
1: let's right. be clear here the multiple that you're talking about because I don't want it's someone not listening to like, Holy <laughs>
0: crap.
2: Yeah, it's
1: not on revenue listeners. Okay. He's talking about Oh, EBITDA. God.
2: No. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs>
1: just, just want to clarify
2: that's all That's right. right. LTM EBITDA pre synergy, post synergy yes. lower. Um, Perfect. Okay. Good. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. So, I think that that's one thing um, that they have to get right. Uh, Managing the labor is going to be a big component of this. Um, But, you know, they also have a lot of opportunity. There are a lot of synergies uh, available to them in this, some of which they've named the back office and the, you know, the field synergies that'll take a while to extract uh, because you don't want to do that all at once. And that's a big thing, too, that I've been talking about a lot you, you see these large uh, route based transactions some of them work out really well and some of them don't and I point to Cintas's acquisition of GNK, which I know is a different market it's uniform rental not pest control But there are lessons to be learned there because when Cintas mm-hmm. acquired GNK, the number one acquired the number four player you know the, the street the analysts were like well when are you gonna get the synergies when are you gonna get the synergies and it, it you know pushing them uh, to go faster and faster and Cintas ignored everybody and they said, no, we know how to do this. And they gave the percentages, like five percent first quarter after close, five percent of G and K's branches were integrated into a CentOS, then ten percent, then fifteen percent. It was slow, steady, methodical, but you know what? They had no hiccups. And it took three years, but they, they did it slow and steady, and it worked out really well. And I hope that that, that lesson is not lost on rental kill. You
1: I don't think so. I mean, you know, from By talking trying to, John, to do
2: everything at once.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. From talking to John, I mean, and even just looking at past performance, they they seem to be pretty disciplined as a leadership team. And, you know, we had him on the podcast and we talked about this. We couldn't talk about it a whole lot at the, at the time that we did the podcast. But he mentioned that, you know, it was it was not going to be a a slam dunk in terms of they're just going to roll in and and it was going to be this immediate, like, you know, wow. And so, so I think, I think you're spot on with that. And I think that's probably what they're going to do. Um, Dan, I want to, I
0: think you're also what, yeah, what you're going to see is that Renekill is going to be more selective in their acquisitions because they don't have as many holes in their map, right? As Terminex Mm -hmm. has filled in a lot of holes Okay, mm-hmm. and they've got to get it right, and they've got to do integrations. So they're going to be a whole lot more selective in, you know, what they're buying, which is going to affect everybody else who is acquiring companies, and it'll be very interesting, I think. I think anybody can do this. It's John Myers and team. Those guys are terrific. You know. Yeah. So. No, I
1: agree with that. I agree with that. Now let's talk about the impact. From an M and A perspective, now Dan, you just mentioned one, which is they're going to be much more selective. Do you feel like this will put downward pressure on multiples? Because if it, you know, if it's one player says, "Well, we're not really willing to walk," which I hate to name names here, so I'm not going to, because whenever I name names, I'm always shocked that I get a phone call from someone at that name and saying, "Well, you know, <laughs> I, now, I I remember." No, it's not hate mail. It's more like, well, you know, so I don't want to have that conversation. But there is one big strategic that I have a lot of respect for and they're highly respected in the industry. And the one thing that I have been so impressed with them is that despite the run up in multiples, they have remained very disciplined in their acquisitions. And so I'm just wondering, you know, now we may have another player who plays like that, you know we have one big street, I mean, kill may, may very well, cause they don't need to right. I mean, they're so massive. They're like, well, you know, w- this is what we're willing to pay. And this is what makes sense. And we don't have to make the deal now because we've got coverage. I just have to believe that has, that, that's going to put uh, downward pressure on multiples. What, what do you guys think about
2: that? Well, I, I hate to sound like a broken record, but I, I do think that if, um, you know, rental kill and terminix do step back and focus on integration and improving the uh, Terminix organic growth rates and dealing, you know, figuring out the uh, termite claims in Mobile and, you know, focusing on the synergy. I mean, there's a lot for them to do if they do step back or at least become more selective. I just think that there are other buyers now that are going to fill that demand. I just think that it's, you know, I think private equity is going to come in. And keep those multiples healthy. In a, in a macroeconomic slowdown, maybe that pulls back a little for a year or two, uh, but I still think the attractiveness of a pest company is is very high, and is going to keep those multiples pretty healthy, uh, even if there is a step back by rental kill and Terminix
0: near term. So, what do you think? The strategy is. I really hope yeah. you're right. I really hope you're <laughs> right. What's the terminal? What, what, what is the terminal strategy, right? So uh one when uh PE firm sells it to the next B firm sells it to the next P firm. Do we have another Rollins or Renekill? Do we have another public uh company or do they ultimately sell to one of those guys? How how does it all play out?
2: Yeah, I think there's um uh, you know three different Exit options it's sell to uh, another financial sponsor or private equity company that's bigger and can do more with it over the next five years. Um, you could sell to a strategic and I think that they will be looking at that as an option um, or, or you could go public if you're big enough and i i I do think someday we could see another publicly traded pest control company come out of one of these guys
1: mm-hmm.
2: for sure for sure
1: interesting. Yeah. well got interesting we we have gotten to the end of our time this has been a fun episode i always enjoy getting up with you tim and, and getting your perspective and it's fun because i can i can have a little bit more fun with dan when it's just being him i can't i can't i can't <laughs> get someone else on my side so it's uh, good to gang up on him a little bit <laughs> yeah, yeah that
2: was, that was fun that's all right yeah yeah, yeah.
1: all right but <laughs> but, I will, oh. yeah. <laughs> but i will say this you know i um I just want to thank you for coming on, Tim. This has been fantastic. Uh, it's always fun to have you on. And I also want to thank our listeners. You know, this is a pretty special episode. It was great that we could we could record this at Pest World. Uh, we were talking about this earlier in the year. We're like, hey, we, we may be able to record our 100th episode at Pest World. So it worked out. And so just want to thank our listeners for the support. It's been overwhelming here at um
0: so Donnie, That's real off the tough, do we have a do we have a number of downloads that that, that we've had from the beginning? Is to, is that something on the that you can recite? Of, of course, I'm going to
1: stick my pinky to the corner of my mouth and say one million. No, I don't. I'd have to look. I don't know that number, but I will tell you this. And it's, it, it, I have been so surprised at how many people have come up and said, hey, we're listening to the podcast. We get a lot of, a lot out of it. Um, yeah. And so if anything, you know, you all made my ego just way bigger than it ever was. And I'm just so full of myself. And it's just you know what? It's just I, I mean, Ron Burgundy doesn't even get close to me. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, so <laughs> with that, <laughs> we're going to end. Uh yeah, Tim, thanks a lot. Any parting words here, Dan, before we finish out?
0: No, thanks everybody for for making the podcast what it is. And and I know that that number is well in excess of a hundred thousand. So that it is. Yes. Um, I, yeah. yeah. So that's that's pretty, you know, and, and that's you know, thanks to everybody who listens. And uh, you know, we'll 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 keep trying, we'll keep working it. And uh All right. excited to do this. So Hope well, uh, thanks so much, Tim. After
2: yeah, this you, episode, Tim. you'll be at uh, 200000 hopefully.
1: Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Hope everyone has a great press world. Tim, thanks a lot. Dan, we'll see you later. You guys take care now. Take care. Thanks, thanks for having you. me, guys. Take care. You bet. Bye.